Welcome back to the show, everybody. My name is Josh Forty, and today we have the man, the myth, the legend, someone with a very sexy, very great name, very great name, uh, yeah. but the secret weapon behind a lot of the sales teams and, and sales uh, training programs in the, in the online industry today, Mr. Josh Lyons, my man, welcome. Thank you, brother. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, dude, we made this interview happen fast. I'm I'm glad we were able to. Um, you hit me up. How you been, bro? What you been up to? I've been excellent. I've been excellent, dude. Life is always better and better if you're looking for something to make it better and better, right? You know, if we're looking for something to improve and our intention and our expectation is there, then things just manifest, you know. So, got a great bunch of clients. Um, got a great bunch of guys and gals that I'm working with. Results are good. Um. You know, everything's great, bro. Everything's great. I love it. Give me a, okay, give me a um, 30 second highlight. Like we'll get into story, I'm sure, and we'll chat, but like give me a 30 second highlight reel of who you are because I don't think, dude, you're kind of like this invisible secret weapon, I feel like, right? Like a lot a ghost, of people. It's like a ghostwriter. Yeah. Right, bro. Like you're like this guy behind the scenes, but you deal with all these big names and, and then like people are like, who's that? And I'm like, I don't know. He's dope. I don't know. Give me like the 30 second highlight reel, who you worked with, what have you done? Yeah, so my claim to fame in sales was that within my first 18 months of ever being on the phone, I went from zero to 100K a month in commissions. And wow. I may be wrong, but I don't think anybody else has done it as quick as I did. There's other guys, girls that have done it, but usually people that have had a background in sales, yeah. like some yeah. kind of context, some kind of relevance. And what was really interesting is that when I kind of got that name of like the guy that did that that quickly, people started bringing me into their teams and saying, well, whatever you're doing must be different because normally it takes us five years or 10 years yeah. to get someone to that level. And so some of the big names came hunting me, you know, Sales Sniper, Jeremy Miner's team wanted me to come in and train their, their sales teams. And the results just exploded. So like sales numbers were up. Uh, guys and girls' identities was changing. You know, I think the biggest thing that they were needing was um, behind the scenes, what makes a great closer. It's not just your script. It's not just the words you say, but it's who you are. Yeah. And in the industry now, that's not really something that's talked about, uh, let alone ever trained, directly yeah. trained. You know, like, who are you? Who is your identity? You know, we all know the I, Sam on, Ovens. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> you, you, you can teach all you want in a second, bro. Keep keep with the highlight reel, though. So, okay, okay. Miner's team, who else? Uh, Hormozzi's team. So, Hormozzi's old team, Gym Launch. That was um, one of the biggest clients that I've come in and trained. Um, took them to the highest close rates they've ever had in the first eight weeks of training them. Um, and then now one of my recent clients, BBA, so that's Brand Builders Academy, very, very similar, came in uh, eight weeks training their team, took them from 500K a month in revenue up to 1.1 million. So Amazing. now I work with a, a very small handful of private clients, um, owners of high ticket offers or services that are at about 250K a month consistently that want to scale that up to a million a month and beyond. Okay, okay. And primarily, just for my own curiosity here, primarily, I mean, high ticket offers, I assume, but are these info product consulting course space or is it high ticket across the board or what does that look like? Yeah, it's across the board. So like one of my clients sells a high ticket course. One of them sells PR services for business owners and entrepreneurs. So it can be a service. It can be a course. 
uh, really just anything that genuinely is changing the world. You know, but if you're like, an entrepreneur, do you do like, let's say, I don't know, like health insurance sales or big machinery sales or anything, or is it more like digital online in that the high ticket service space there? Got it. Yeah. Digital online, yeah. not, not traditional businesses. No. Yeah. Which is a hugely growing market. Like it's crazy how, how, like, I remember we were, you know, four years ago when I, you know, saw the market exploding and I was like, I wonder how much bigger this can get. And I'm like, Oh, LOL, OLOL. Right. <laughs> like we're still a, yeah. I feel like this industry is still a baby market compared to a lot of these markets. Right. Yeah. Okay. When we're in the, you know, it's like you don't know what you don't know. We're 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 in a bubble. We we feel like the online entrepreneur space is is everything, but for corporate, it's like they've never even heard of us. You know? Yeah, and so. <laughs> I wanna I wanna circle back to the fact that you were doing like 100k commissions for yourself and what goes into that. But before I do, I think let's let's go down this rabbit hole just for a second. Industry, the industry of the online info product, digital service space, right? Because while I think definitely, definitely new industries can emerge and that not take out another industry, right? It's not mm -hmm. a, a fixed thing of like, there's only so much, you know, cash or so much, you know, whatever. I think oftentimes when you do have a, a heavily emerging industry, something that's, you know, big, it does tend to eat up or take away from and feed off of maybe collapsing other industries, right? Or other industries that are not, I mean, look, you look at the internet, Right. And and what that did for it took away from so many industries. Right. What what the electrical mm -hmm. industry maybe did for the coal or I guess coal is still really big. But you, you know what I'm saying? Right. I so, like, it. what do you see as someone who obviously sells a lot of this? Right. The trajectory, five, 10, 15 years. Are we near our peak or is this something that as the world continues to change, this just continues to blow up? And if so, what is it replacing? Oof, I don't have a crystal ball, but yeah. if I were to take a wild guess, I think the biggest thing that we all know that's going to challenge everything is AI. Mm. And how does that, if it does, integrate into everything that's currently going on? Is it going to consume you know, the way we do things or is it going to complement the way we do things? Yeah. And so I think if, you know, if we have the AI conversation, it's like, well, what's that going to do to sales? Does that mean more people come online? Does that mean more people go offline? You know, are they, are they going to be like, whoa, you know, everything's now a robot. I don't want to be involved. I'm going to go and live on a farm, hypothetically, you know, yeah, as, a, yeah. as a concept. Is it going to push people away or is it going to make people more interested with learning online, having online communities, doing business online, selling, buying online? Like, I don't think anybody knows, but there's going to be two groups of people, there's going to be the people that whichever way it goes, they're going to capitalize on it. Or there's going to be the people that whichever way it goes, they're actually their situation is made worse because they're not taking advantage of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I also think it's an interesting point too with the AI piece, because I think that AI, I mean, I think AI is going to increase the scope of production from civilization by heaps and bounds, right? So with that, you know, a mass amounts of abundance, like let's look at the positive here for a second. I mean, I think the future is pretty clearly going into a computer, right? Not mm -hmm. away from it. <laughs> and so yeah. when I look at the online space, whether that be info products, consulting, coaching, or online services being done virtually, virtual trainings, virtual education, and I don't even mean in the sense of like, ooh, I'm going to learn how to, you know, knit, or I'm going to learn how to sell something. 
I mean, like corporate trainings and, and just worldwide, like team trainings and things of that nature, right? I feel like so much of the infrastructure and so much of the industries right now say traditional training systems, college, corporate trainings in person, books, like things of that nature are just going to be kind of eaten up by this. They're going to be forced to evolve into a digital age of, you know, this production through AI, right? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when I look at, when I look at the evolution of this space in consulting and coaching and, you know, online services, you know, the old version of me is like, oh, how much, you know, how long can this really last? And I, I think I've shifted that into, I think this space is going to become exponentially bigger. And, and if you mm -hmm. do not have someone, or if you have not learned from someone, if you don't know the principles that like of human psychology and the principles of sales and the principles of education and learning that it's all based yeah. upon, right? I think you're into a world of trouble. Does that make sense? I completely agree. 100%. And so I think that like sales is a really, really good indicator of, well, because sales is the exchange of money. I feel like it's a really, really good indicator of what people are putting their focus on, what's working, what's not working based on what they're buying. Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A hundred percent. So for the salesperson or the company right now that sells digital products, coursing, consulting, services, things like that nature, PR stuff, whatever, anything that's done online. What do you see right now as the biggest changes or challenges that you're prepping for or that they're going to face in the next um, 12 to 36 months? So two things, um, and Hormozy mentioned this on a recent, uh, recent video, people moving more towards an in-person delivery mechanism Although the infrastructure to get there is is obviously going to be digital and, and going to expand. Mm. Now, that depends which echelon we're talking about, like the mass market volume, you know, the old, I can't remember what it was called, the, the Dean Graziosi and Tony Robbins one they did a, a year back. It was like, how oh, was it? It was some, some uh, knowledge mastermind broker, or something. Knowledge broker they, blueprint and mastermind.com. Yeah. That one. That type of mass market is going to be delivered on a giant Zoom screen with 5,000 people, et cetera. Yeah. But the more high ticket, I think it's going to move away from the old, hey, we'll throw you into group coaching and hey, we're going to fly you out or you're going to fly out to an in-person meetup mastermind. So I think there's going to be two categories. And as you know, as we know with Russell and things like that, maybe they feed into each other. Maybe it's, yeah. a, it's an ascension into it. But I think if we look back three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, the whole group coaching model, you know, like, hey, you come in, you get a course, you do twice a week group coaching, that wasn't that saturated. It was yeah. kind of like, okay, that's that's the way it is. Now, everybody's done that. Yeah. And because, you know, talking about saturation, because everybody and everybody's offer does that, if you just bring to market another course with twice a week group coaching, why is someone going to join that instead of? you know, your competitors, I think the differentiator is going to be your experience, you know, like, okay. you know, you go to Russell Brunson's mastermind in paradise. It's a freaking experience. man. Yeah, it's like, sure. holy shit, this is one of the best experiences I've had in my life. I think that's going to start being fed down from like the highest, highest, highest level entrepreneurs to even if you're starting your first online course, you got to have some element of experience. Interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So how does, like, I, I want to talk to 
I think, you know, oftentimes on podcasts, you know, you can interview people and be like, talk to the beginner, to the person that's just starting out. I, I want to yeah. talk to, I want to ask questions from the lens of like your clientele, the people that you work with, hmm. right? Hmm. Um, which you said they're doing, you know, 250 a month in revenue, 250,000 a month in revenue or more, typically speaking, right? They've got kind of maybe that lead flow in there. What's, what would you say are some of the, because correct me if I'm wrong, in order to do $250,000 a month in revenue, something's got to be working with the offer, right? Yeah. Like, like yeah. that, that's kind of dialed in, right? It's, so it's a market validated offer already. Okay. Yeah. So how does that person, when you're thinking about, actually, what does that look like for someone if they're like, okay, yeah, maybe I'm doing that. But when you say a market validated offer, if, if, if I'm looking to scale from 250,000 a month to a million a month, what things do you look at in the offer itself to know if that's ready to go from a $250,000 a month to a, a million dollars a month? Yeah. If their lead flow isn't working, I'm not going to touch that business. There's nothing but, I can do that's... Hold on. Before you even go to lead flow, though, like specifically about the offer itself, what does the offer yeah. look like? Oh, I mean, it could be... It could be any industry, it could be any delivery. But what I mean by lead flow is that, you know, people are wanting to explore whatever they're putting to the market. You know, they put mm, out an okay, ad, okay, they sorry, do organic yeah. content. People are like, I'm interested in this. Okay. So if the if the offer is generating interest, the next thing is, why is it not making enough revenue? Why is it not making enough profit? And why is it not converting at a high enough level? Those are the things that I'll look at. I'm not coming in and trying to generate interest for an offer that Got isn't it. really generating interest. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's a good qualifier. So you're at like the offer itself and the, and the solution that that offer provides is something that, that there's already demand for, there's already interest in. Yes? Correct. Correct. There's demand, so, people are buying it. And then I'm looking at, okay, what are the levers I can pull to make more people buy it for the same number of, phone calls or bookings or mm. applications and how can i position the offer in a way that people see it as more valuable does that make okay. sense yeah so talk yeah. me through that talk me through your magic here for a second actually real quick on the hundred thousand dollar a month commission i want to tie these two things together here for a second if i'm making a hundred if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a month commission how much typically speaking for like a high ticket closer that you know people that you work with these sales you know teams What's their commission rate? Is that like a 10%, 5%, 20%? Like what do you, typically? 10, 10%. 10%. Yeah. So at a at $100,000 a month, you were doing about a million dollars a month in sales. 1.12 million. Yeah. Amazing. That's freaking Sing fantastic. So you know your stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. So when you're now coming in and then working with these people and thinking about, or like looking at, like you said, like how do we get you know more sales per call or everything? Walk me through the metrics. Like, walk me through your process. I'm at, pretend, actually, pretend I'm a prospect. Let's do this for a second. Pretend I'm a prospect and I have a business. I make $250,000 a month. My lead flow is good, right? I can push a button and get more leads and generate more calls per se. Right. What is right. what does the process look like or what questions are you going to ask me to figure this out? To figure out if they're a fit or to figure out how to, to fix the problem, just so I'm clear. Um, what's the best... Let's do both, but which one do we start with? You tell okay. me which one's better to start with. Yeah, to, to, to figure out if someone's a fit. You know, if, okay. if I'm yeah. even going to consider working with someone, 
I want to know what they feel they need. You know, if, if, if it's kind of a, a and, joke and when I, sorry, sorry, I want you to continue on this. I do want to give context to why I'm doing this because what I'm as, as me, the person trying to like interviewing right now, I want to understand as Josh, what goes through someone with your level of experience's mind, what you're mm, thinking, I, the questions that you're asking. So I can start to match and like, see that in the business and really extract yeah. that. So by me going through this process, I feel like it'll be a good exercise for me to better, better understand this as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I, I would ask them typically, you know, once I've gathered all the data, you know, the numbers, the metrics, okay, cool. So you're at 500 to 600 K you want to double, you want to triple. Why do you think that hasn't happened? What do you feel mm. you need in order to do that? And based on that, I'm not really looking at the logistics of what they tell me. I'm looking at their mindset okay. because I'm not going to get into bed with somebody that I'm trying to reframe them around the way they feel their business is going to get scaled. I want to see if we've got alignment. So a couple of examples, you know, if they say, hey, you know what, Josh, we're having twice a week morning meetings. I think we need five a week. I'm like, eh, that's <laughs> not going to triple your business. Okay. Or if they say something like, we've got a bunch of great closers. We've got a bunch of not so great closers. We need to improve the not so great closers. I'm okay. like, mm, why not just fire them? Mm. Because I need to see the way a business owner thinks because I move quick when I work with okay. a client. I move directly when I work with a client and I want to be left to do what I do best without having to explain every move mm. on the chessboard to the business owner. You know, well, 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 let's just fire your bottom two closers and give the same leads to one of your better closers. Within three days of my previous um, sort of onboarding with one of my other clients, we did exactly that. We fired their worst two closers. I hadn't even met their sales team. I hadn't even been on any Zoom calls, nothing. I just sent a Telegram message and said, fire your bottom two closers, give the leads to your other closers, boom, 15% increase in revenue Okay. immediately. So like I'm looking at what it, what is the precise buttons that I can press to move things? Whereas what a lot of business owners do, and I don't know if this is the Gary V hustle culture that's, you know, indoctrinated them. It's like, how much work can we do to grow the business? I'm like, no, 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 no. Let's not look at how much we can do. Let's look at what we actually need to do. What's not working. And, and often in an offer, which is why your first question, you know, what's the prerequisite? If it's already validated in the market, it's not adding things in. It's usually mm. removing the things that are limiting the business from growing. If it's not a market validated offer, I'm trying to throw 500 different things into the marketplace and see what sticks. That's I don't do that. I don't try and get attention, try and validate the offer. I come in and say, this is already working. What it what are you what are you actually taking to the marketplace that is preventing you from just naturally rising up and taking more market share? Does that make sense? Hundred percent. So so one will be one will be the closers, one will be the positioning of the offer. So many times business owners have a great offer, but the way they're explaining the offer is completely wrong. So one of the other things I'll come in is I'll rewrite the whole offer. Not not the questions that the closer is asking in the discovery. The moment they transition and say, "Hey." Seems like we've got alignment here. Let me walk you through the A through to Z of our process. From that point to dropping the price, 99% of offer owners have no idea how to explain that. 
You know, mm. hey, we've got a we've got an online course. Hey, we've got twice a week group coaching. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about how you get them the result. They want to know, you know, the emotions of going through that process. It's kind of copywriting, I guess, you know. Yeah. Okay, real quick for context, for most of the people, and maybe it varies, but like for most of the people, these sales teams, when they're getting on the phone with someone, have they gone through like, have they gone through a challenge? Have they watched a VSL? Like, how educated are they of these leads? Or are these, like, appointment setters to sales call? Like, what what's the, the pre-process? In, like, 30 seconds, typically, what does that look like? It, it varies for different offers. Like, one one of my business, uh, business owners, as a client, they have a 50 to 100K offer. So it's very different pre-call resources versus one that's selling a 5K front-end offer. At least, though, you want them to have gone through some type of resources, you know, case studies, client results, and a behind the scenes walkthrough of what goes on. Um, and then sometimes, yeah, sometimes it's a free course or, or a very low ticket course. Hey, you know, give us $50 and we'll give you, you know, part one of what we do. Um, so they'll, they'll usually have to be something. I think, you know, you're asking me what's changing in the market. That's changing a lot. Well, it well, used to I, be no, 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 no. straight to uh, a sales Cause, cause there's, there's many different ways to deliver that. But, but what I'm getting at is there is some form of, and it could be in 50 different ways. That doesn't matter, but there is some form of pre-call education of some sort around absolutely process that's followed and some form of case study or social proof. Yes. Yes. Now let yeah. me add in something to that. Okay. Every business that's come to me and asked for help that, that, and this is a key here. They do what I call pre-dissuasion. You've read the book Presuasion by Cialdini. So good. 99% of business owners that come to me and they say, why is this not working? I say, let's look at your indoctrination process. Mm. Every single text, email, you know, confirmation page, they're dissuading the prospect from wanting to even get on the phone. Yeah, why? for sure. They're coming, they're coming across too needy. They're coming across too desperate. They're coming across from a place of scarcity. They're sending 15 different pre-call texts and emails. The way that they're influencing the person before they even get on the phone is like chopping off one leg from their closers and then expecting the closer to close the call. It's like, they're getting on the phone already. Like, I don't even know if I even want to be on this call, but I, yeah. I'm looking for help and I want to make more money. So I'm here. And so one of the biggest things I'll look at in the sales process is, are you pre-suading someone to get on that call or are you pre-dissuading someone? And it's always pre-dissuasion. They're always turning people off before they get on the call. Now that's good for me and good for the business owners I work with, because if they have a market validated offer, and then they're pre-dissuading people. I just need to remove the dissuasion yep. and boom, everything starts rising again. Got so it. that's why the first thing is always, is this validated? But then what are you, you know, they're putting roadblocks in their own way for their closes yeah. and for their potential revenue. So, yeah. So under the question of why hasn't it scaled, right? If that's the first question that you're going to be looking at or asking them. Really, the three things that I wrote down here are you're looking at what do their closers look like? Like what's, who are they? What are their like rates and stuff look like? Second is what's the actual offer look like itself from a, how it's written and presented, not the actual offer, but how it's written and presented. And then Correct. third is the pre-call process. Are there things that are dissuading them? You're looking at those three main things to figure out why it hasn't scaled. Yes, but let's be clear that like, as an example, part one, 
who are the closers on the board i'm not asking that because i want to know the track record of the closers or the results i'm asking that because i want to know the mindset of the business owner mm, a lot of fine. business owners they're psychologically attached to their team members to the to their you know their approach to things it's like well this is the way that we've done it so this is the way we need to keep doing it and this okay. is the way that we're going to grow it it's like well you know the old saying if you know what got you to where you are now is not going to get you to where you want to get to so i asked those questions not really for the logistics but for the psychology of the business owner Got again it. like you know how, how do they position the offer are they positioning it as okay. a very logical breakdown or are they positioning it positioning it positioning it as a life-changing opportunity for the people on the phone. Okay. Now, this is a key different. Let me just add one. No, you're going to go, go yeah, yeah, yeah. From, yep. from no, what I do to what a lot of people do in the sales training market is a lot of sales training now is about, hey, you know, don't infuse your prospects with enthusiasm. You know, don't be leading them. Don't be challenging them too much. You know, be very, very detached. Now, detachment in sales is very, very important. But so is persuading people with influential copywriting influential ways of speaking and there's been this like weird uh derivative now in the market which is like no 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 you don't want a script that's written out in a very nice copywriting way it's like well why not if you look at some of the best advertising ever you know um the lazy man's way to riches it was a, a simple one-page advert no pictures no video just amazing copywriting and it sold like gangbusters so why then are you not using that tactic in the way that you're presenting your offer to your audience? Because for some weird reason now, and I don't want to shit on anyone, but I think it was Jordan Belfort has put everybody away from this idea of being too much of a salesman. Well, there's a, there's a pendulum with everything. Like if you yep. swing it too far yep. one way, of course, but now the market has swung it all the way the other way. That's like, oh, we're not going to use any of these amazing tactics we're just going to be very, very nonchalant and very, very detached with our offer. It's like, well, why not tell someone, hey, you know, this is going to change your life. If you come in here and you do X, Y, Z, you're going to be able to feed your children. You're going to be able to go to Disneyland. You're going to be able to do this. Why not say all of that? Now, obviously, we've got, you know, compliance and things like that. But at a high level, so many business owners don't use that. And it's about 20%, maybe 25% of their potential revenue that they're leaving on the table from the same leads and the same applications that they're already getting on the phone. Then mm. they're just not persuading people. Uh, and persuasion is maybe, you know, a, a catchphrase here, but yeah, yeah. They're, they're not willing to write ethically persuasive copy into their offer. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so going back to, because I feel like we've like teeter-tottered in both worlds here for a second. I want to get clear, <laughs> which is there's, there's, how do you know? And like, how do you figure out, hey, is this the right person to work with for me? And then mm -hmm. second, what's the process that you go through? Yeah. Give me in like three steps or four steps, whatever the, I don't know how many it is for you. Just then we can dive deep into them, but just so that we have this three to four steps. What are the three to four things that you look at in order for to make sure like you can actually help someone and work with someone and then second what are the three to four steps that you go through like your framework of this starting with the first 100%. one what are those like three to four without justification i just need to know the steps yeah so the the presentation the pitch number one the pricing structure number two 
the team members, do you have enough of the right people in enough of the right places? And then the actual training that those team members are getting. And if an offer is at zero to 200K, the team members need training on what questions to ask, the tonality and all of the basics. If a company, if a sales team is already at 300 to 600, they don't need training on that. They need training on yeah. identity, belief yeah. work, challenging people, the habits, the rituals and the routines that allowed me to get to 100K a month. And it's, you know, hold you're up, operating up, up, like a machine if you want to do that. Yeah. The, the pitch pricing team and training. These are the four things. These are the four things you look at, or these are the four ways you qualify someone. Those are the four things I'll look at. Qualifying look at. someone is, hey, do you have a market validated offer? Yep. That, is that it one. genuinely changing the world? Is it at the right level of, of revenue? And can you just push a button and get more leads? And then also the business owner's psychology. What you know? Do you feel that you need more morning sessions talking about what everybody had for breakfast to grow your team, or what do you feel that you actually need? Got it. Okay. So. If I'm a business owner, you're going to, to me, you're going to ask me about my offer. You're going to ask me about the change or the transformation that it actually brings. You're going to ask me the current revenue. You're going to ask me my, about my lead flow and then about my mindset, right? 100%. And yeah. so if I am that business owner and I've got the right mindset of the, the, the let's call it a growth mindset for a generic term, right? But the growth mindset, sure. we know that what's gotten us here is not going to get me there. Right? I've got to change, mm -hmm. right? And I've got good leads. I've got a good offer. It's validated. And I'm, you know. Like it, it provides transformation and I can click a button and get more leads, right? I, I am that ideal person and I come to you. I want you to now, and I'm going to just shut up and get out of your way because I want you to like this. My question to you is like me to you, bro. How do you like sell lots of stuff? Like what is the ninja behind this? Like show off your expertise here. Because I think that at least in my experience with selling to people and teaching people how to sell, which I'm, you know, I've, I've sold a lot of stuff, but as far as teaching people how to sell, you have so much more experience, right? Then you have a, a, a great depth there. You know, I think that so many people get it wrong and they they confuse it and they they overcomplicate it. So like, how do you sell stuff, bro? Let me give you an analogy. So if you've ever seen how a sniper takes a shot, once they've laid down, they know where their target is. The first thing they start doing is recalculating where they actually need to aim to end up hitting the target. You know, if the target's here, but the wind is going X miles per hour in the other direction, they actually have to aim here to hit the target. That is what is wrong with the sales training on the marketplace right now is mm. they say, this is the target, sell in the same way to every single person. Well, you'll get 50% of the people on the phone to possibly enroll, but what about the other 50% that are, different type of person, different psychographic, different state of mind, different identity, different beliefs. If you can't maneuver the way that you close someone based on the wind, the direction, the ecosystem, everything, you're leaving 50% of the, the people on, on, on the market not enrolled into your program. So the first thing that I teach when I train sales professionals is how to read people, not body language or you know simple stuff. But when you're actually having a conversation, instead of thinking about the next line on your script, think about what the person is actually saying behind what they're saying. And so I teach people to really, really understand people and to maneuver the way that you sell based on that. You know, like one of the responses I get all the time when I train teams is how different 
one of my calls are compared to another one. One mm. call, I'm telling someone they're a fucking failure in life and they're letting their children down and they're not going to get anywhere. Yeah. Another call, I'm telling someone, wow, that's so amazing. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. That's great. You know, what's behind you being such an inspirational person? And and sales reps are like, well, what's your style? And I'm like, there is no style. You know, it's like Bruce Lee says, you know, that you've got to be like water. You've got to be fluid if you want to be able to relate to anybody. Now, the the good side of that is you can close anybody that's closable. If you sell from a script, you can only close people that fit within your pre, pre-planned out script. Yeah. And so I'm always teaching people to understand a human being on a human to human level. Now, how do I train that? In order to connect with someone on a human to human level, you have to train yourself on a human level, your being, your identity, your state, your habits. You have to show up and become someone that's going to close someone because of who you are, not your pre-planned questions, not your pre-planned tonality. So that's that's the biggest difference is that so, I'll so, jump on to- So in order yeah, to, sorry, in order to, what you're saying is, is that in order to understand someone at a human to human level and in order to know what questions to ask, in order to, to get down and have those deep levels of conversation, you actually have to be the person- worthy or capable of that like you have to understand yourself at that level is that is that what you're saying okay 100 percent. you know it's like you're you're expecting someone to drive a vehicle from a to b that's sedated well sedated is you know i don't want to go too woo woo here but like everybody that's plugged into the matrix that doesn't even understand why they think their own thoughts well if you can't understand why you think the negative or the self deprecating thoughts that you think how are you going to call someone else out on their own mind viruses and their own limiting beliefs and so i always show people and the results are crazy if you just go inside and start working on yourself yeah your prospects are going to show up in a different way they're going to listen to you in a different way they're going to follow your leadership in a different way if you just try and take everybody through a generic script like yeah, you'll get some sales because people are just lay down sales and they already decided they want to enroll before they got on the sales call. But 90% of people that get on a sales call, they need leadership. Yeah, They need you to challenge them. They need you to hold the mirror up to them and say, dude, you say that you want to provide for your family, but now you're letting your decisions be run by your fear instead of your vision and your hope for your family having a better future. What's going on? That's not on a script. That's that's not a pre-planned objection handle. It's just listening and understanding people. But you have to start journaling and start writing and start taking time out to yourself and working on, you know, if I could be a better person, what would I change? Well, if you go through that exercise for yourself, and you start saying, well, my mindset's a bit negative, I'm not very enthusiastic, I'm doing things that I don't even believe in, I'm hanging around people that aren't serving me, you start taking yourself through that process. And you by process of elimination, you rise up to a higher level of being, and people just naturally are magnetically attracted to you. They're just going to gravitate towards your leadership. Yeah. Right. How did you, how did you figure all this out? Cause you said you went to, you know, zero to hundred thousand a month in commissions in 18 months. Mm. You clearly figured this out. Tell me more about that story. I had a mentor mm. and I think, you know, I wouldn't be where I was if I hadn't invested in mentors, if I hadn't invested in coaches, my mentor was a, underground business prodigy at 21 years old. And there's an interesting story behind this, how I truly figured out what I was doing. 
I learned the method that he taught me, uh, like, which is hold on, take, take me back even further than that though. Like how old are you now? Uh, 30, 30. Yeah. 30. And you've been in sales for how long? Mm, coming up to four years now. Okay. So take me back yeah. four years ago, five, like what was five years ago? Like, where were you? How did you get into this world of sales? Like what was right before that, that kind of drove into this world of sales? Yeah. Crazy story. I was making $1,500 a month doing a job that by now AI would have replaced, you know, just, you know, posting things on Facebook accounts for people doing some in-house marketing, very, very basic stuff. And I got myself part-time into a company that I wanted to work with, just helping them with customer support. I thought, you know, I'll get, I'll get my foot in the door here. I believe that there's a way I can figure it out, but I'll just get my foot in the door. And I did a great job. I was constantly, you know, trying to over deliver and, and really do the best I could in my part-time hours. And I got a message from one of the business owners. Hey, um, you know, you're doing a really good job of helping coach the clients. Do you want to learn sales? And I was like, I don't know anything about sales. I don't yeah. even really know what it is, but sure, I'll, I'll learn sales. And this mentor trained me one-on-one -on -one every single day in sales and the way that he trained there was no instruction manual there was no course there was no sop there was no handbook it was just teaching me to level up as a human being teaching me to understand people teaching me everything that i now teach my students and yeah dude within 18 months i was making a hundred thousand dollars in commission from making less than two grand a month so it's wild. crazy wild yeah, so crazy what are the things that you Set, like, okay, so you, you talk about the fact that it was leveling up as a human being, right? And I think, you know, one of the things, I mean, I'm a big believer in coaches and mentors. I've spent hundreds of hundreds of hundreds of thousands of dollars, right, on, on coaches and mentors. And one of the things that in, in dealing with a lot of coaching programs and in dealing with a lot of like coaching other people as well, like there's like this balance, right? Because you need structure, because there's got there is a framework. You can't you can't possibly train large amounts of people at scale without some form of framework or process that you're bringing them through. At the same time, environment proximity right uh, is arguably more powerful than than the framework. It's the whole yin and yang right. It's like there's structure and then there's also environment feel and there's this, this kind of this back and forth right. So like, how do you? Like when you train these salespeople and you you know you train these teams and and whatnot, how do you balance the two of them, or what is that structure versus the 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 yin and yang? Because I'm assuming you're not flying out to these people and spending three months in their business in the, their sales teams every day, right? Like in person. So like, how do you how do you teach this, or how do you create that to have such success? Yeah. Well, quick quick note: I have never met my mentor in person four years later. So, so just a point on like, well, you know, do you have to fly out to meet someone? No, yeah. definitely not. Um, still never met him made, you know, millions from his teachings and his mentorship, but I've never met him in person. It was actually 18 months before I ever saw his face. We just wow. used to speak on telegram voice notes. I didn't even know what he looked like. You know, I just had so this crazy. voice that was coming to me every single day and it was making me more money. So I was like, well, I better keep listening. So how do I train them? So the first thing I do with any team is I take them to a process for eight weeks, which is called the launch pad. Now the launch pad is laying all of the foundations within the team and within the offer. If we decide that we then want to get into partnership later down the line. So the launch pad is again, going through the offer, rewriting it, 
going through the pricing, going through the team members, making sure that these are the right type of people that I can train. You know, it's the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. If someone in the team or a couple of people in the team have been the lowest performers for two, three, four months, maybe it's just a horse that you can't make drink. Like, Got it. Why, why, yeah. why keep them there? You may as well just let them go and let them do what's better for them. So once I've got all that figured out, I then start training. Now, the interesting thing with the training is it's one hour a week, one time a week. And uh-huh. as I said, one of my previous clients, BBA, we doubled their business, taking them through the launch pad within six weeks. I only met their team once a week for an hour. Wow. And so I take them through the reverse And this is, this is post, post the eight-week launch pad or during it? So it's all together. So okay, whilst okay, I'm okay. doing the, yeah. Okay. Whilst I'm doing the eight weeks with the yep. team, I've also rewritten the script, redone okay. the pricing, things like that. So I reverse engineered the core methods that my mentor taught me and put them into a methodology that is called self-actualized selling to create unicorn closers. People that are at just such a high level of frequency that they can close deals almost just magnetically. Like it's, it's almost, it, it just happens for them rather than happening to them. Things like training them on state management, things like training them on having optimized health, you know, not just biohacking, but, you know, much, much higher level than that. Things like training them on the right habits, the right rituals, the right routines, the right value structure. You know, you you know this, if you have the right values, you know what to do, you know how to think, you know how to make decisions based on your values. Most people have no structure. They They're in a situation that they don't know whether to go left or right. Your compass that's going to tell you what to do is based on your values. If you don't have the right values, people don't know what to do. So I take them through this this system. Every single week, the revenue is going up and up and up and up and up just by installing one piece at a time. But actually, even though it's one piece at a time, there's only about 25 pieces if I end up partnering with a business that can triple, quadruple, and 5x a business in in a matter of six months. There's only a core number of pieces, and it's it's those fu- fu- foundational things: state management, your habits, your rituals, your routines, your your uh, your goal. You know, ninety nine percent of closers they get on the phone every day. They try and close deals. They don't even know why they're closing deals. They don't know what they want the money for. You know, like one of, one of the things I take closers through is, um, at the time when I made such a quick, rapid acceleration, I knew exactly why I was making the money, how much I was going to make per month, how much I was going to make per week, per day, how many deals that was going to be. And I knew within 18 months, I was going to be financially free. And I had an exact plan of how I was going to do that. That just meant that my identity was locked in. Like I was aligned to everything I was doing. Most closers have been closing for two years. They still don't even know why they're trying to earn the money. Yeah. Like if you if you reprogram someone to have a mission, it's like Nietzsche says, the man who has a why can bear any how. And like in objection handling, you need to take a stand for the other person on the phone. If you don't even know why you're taking a stand so that you can make the money, what how much how much resource are you going to have? How much dedication are you going to have to stay in the saddle and keep objection handling someone and keep stating um, you know, their better self over their lower self. You're not going to do that for more than five minutes before you get frustrated, before yeah. you get bored of objection handling. So things like that. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you, what do you call this? 
Self-actualized selling. Self-actualized selling. Okay. So yeah. what yeah. you sell is that. Like what you, or what, what I say what you deliver, I guess. Like what you teach is to these sales teams is self-actualized selling. Correct. How Got to it. become the type of person that is a hundred times a better leader for the people on your phone than your competitors that people just naturally are going to enroll in your program because you are a better person for them to align with. You know, it's like, have you ever been in a room and you can just feel someone before you see them, yeah, before you sure. hear them? You're just like, I can just feel that that person's a leader, like, and you just naturally gravitate towards them. Well, if you train all of your closers, if you have a team of eight people that are just super high level, high value individuals, people just start coming to your business to enroll in your program. And like, I end up talking to people on the phone or listening to closers calls. And they're like, uh, the prospect will say, I've been seeing this advert come up for the last six months. I never clicked it. But then something a week ago just made me decide to click it. And I'm like, yeah, it's because I've been teaching your closers to become a higher level person. People feel that, you know, I don't want to get yeah. too woo woo with it. I but mean, like, bro, this is the place to do thing. it. Like spirituality right is a thing. Like, manifestation whatever you want to call it like that shit's real bro like more 100%. real than your tonality or your scripting of your discovery questions like way more real if you just become a better person you know like zig ziglar says if you help other people get what they want you can have whatever you want yeah but you can only you can only help other people get what they want if you become the type of person that can inspire them that can lead them so i teach people to become that and when closers are on a team that I'm growing, they start reaching out to me and saying, how can we do more training with you? How can we do more one-on-ones? I don't know anybody that trains a team with the management style of morning rah-rah sessions that the closers reach out and say, hey, can we do an extra session on a Saturday? It's like, no, people, yeah. people don't want to do that. So, you know, and every entrepreneur and all the guys and girls in your circle we all got into personal development because something was calling us to grow, to evolve, yeah. to become a better person. Most sales professionals in the high ticket sales ecosystem, they got into sales for the same reason. They then got led by a management team or a management style that's like, hey, let's get on a meeting and talk about what we all did at the weekend. It's like, yeah. hang on, why, why, why are we doing that? Like, how about we work on evolving ourselves as independent individuals and you know, a rising tide raises all boats. If the closers individually are becoming better people, the ship is going to rise as a whole. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk. Let's talk woo woo for a second, and let's let's go down that path here for a minute because I'm curious. You know, you you talked about training these guys, and you talk about training them on you know what they're focused on and where they want to get to, and 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 why that matters, and things, and and becoming a better person, right? what about you? Like, who, who are you? And like, what, what are you about? What are you building? Who are you becoming in this process of it all? Cause you know, you could just go, you could just go be a closer, bro. You can make a hundred thousand or 200,000 a month, whatever it is that you, you know, your take home is, and I don't know, have a great life. Right. So yeah, who are you? And <clears throat> I guess you'll probably understand the question of like, who are you becoming? Uh, what are you what are you trying to, to build and become so that you attract? Like what are you trying to attract and build by becoming? Yeah. Let me explain it as a story. So I think it'll be much, much easier to understand. 100%. So love it. When 
my mentor taught me everything that he taught me. I just knew the world needs to know about this. Like the stuff that my mentor is teaching me, people need to experience that. Now, sales, if done right, is a vehicle for an individual to, to grow, to go through a personal development journey. And so the story is when I had my first 100K month, I had been striving for that number for the previous six months. I was like, I'm going to take calls seven days a week. I'm going to take more calls a day. I'm going to focus. I'm going to cut out relationships. I'm going to cut out my friends. I'm going to cut out everything. I'm just going to see how high I can take this. I made 100K. And I was like, I don't feel any different. In fact, I kind of feel worse. I'm like, I don't know if this was worth it. Like I've, I've cut out everything in order to make that 100K. So then I started really introspecting and thinking like, well, well, what was it that's allowed me to consistently put in the work to get to 100K? It clearly wasn't the numbers because I've made the money now and it doesn't feel any different. And I realized it was all the things that I was learning along the way. And when this really, really hit home, one of the things that my mentor taught me about was your beliefs and your ability to manifest things and your ability to, to create things through your imagination and through your interpretation of things. Okay. And about, about eight months, about nine months ago, my mom got cancer and your mom got the what? doctor's cancer. Oh, cancer. sorry to hear that. Well, it's a good story. And the doctors were telling her, you know, it's, it's bad. Like you, you, you're probably not going to make this. And my mom was obviously telling me and everything. And I told my mom, mom, you know how much money I've made, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is how I was able to make that. And I taught my mom the belief work that my mentor had taught me in order to make the money that I'd made. The only reason my mom listened to me was because she has seen how much money I've made. If I hadn't, she would have been like, what belief stuff? What are you talking about? Right, right, right. And I taught my mom, mom, you're going to go to bed every single night. And every night you're going to hear the words of the doctor telling you after your operation, it's all gone. You're a hundred percent healed. And I trained my mom on that for like, I don't know, probably about 12 weeks, 12 weeks passed. Another week passed and I get a voice note from my mom. She's crying her eyes out. She's like, Josh, exactly like you said it was going to happen. I did the belief work. I did the manifesting. I wrote everything down. I did it exactly like you said. The doctor told me it's all gone, 100% mm. gone. And that's what sales is for me. Sales isn't making the money. I've been there. I've done it. You know, No, I didn't make a million dollars a month in commission, but 100K, it's enough for there to not be much of a difference if I made 500K. Like it right, was more right. than enough. Yep. That didn't mean anything to me. What meant something to me was shit. I basically just cured my mom's cancer from the principles that I learned, that I learned during my sales journey. Interesting. And now when I teach people that, they, they're they able to change their world. And so your, your question was, you know, well, what it, what it, what is your why? Like, who are you becoming? What are you, what are you out there doing? Like, who are you evolving into? I'm evolving into someone that can take the principles that I learned from self-actualized selling, teach them to business owners sales professionals or individuals and allow them to just make the world a better place, you know, mm. heal things, cure things, grow things, evolve in many different ways. And it's not about the money. Like the money is cool, but as, as you know, 
delusion you know, charter flights on a jet and sorry once you get hold on you cut point, out there you cut out there for a second you oh, said money's cool but as you know what i think it's my internet can you hear me yeah i'm good yeah as you know there's a point with the money where you can buy the things you want you can charter a jet to go from a to b making more money doesn't really make a difference and like i've i've been through that journey and that's why i'm just so excited to be able to train individuals and train sales teams on all of these things another example the the business owner on one of my clients accounts he watches me train the team and he tells me you know at the end of each training dude like i'm i'm growing as a person just watching you train my team and our business is making more money yeah. you know our business is making more money but i'm actually evolving as an individual so okay and that's fascinating. By the way, huge congratulations on your mother. That's that's incredible, incredible. Appreciate that, bro. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. So I'm curious, as someone, like I am someone who I think I'll, I'll very deeply when it comes to, you know, purpose of life and, and you know, religion and philosophy and, and all of these things, right, as I know you do as well. And this the concept, I mean, I think money is – at least for me, probably for you as well, for many is like this gateway drug into higher thinking, let's say, right? Absolutely. That's and you, right. And then you, you know, there's those people that take it and they're corrupted by it and yada, yada. But for, for those of us, particularly those of us that are uh, very focused also on personal development, money is that gateway drug because it's like, oh, it's this, it's this fuel, it's this energy. It's the thing that allows us to go. And, you know, the more we make or the better we understand, the more we can create and the more, you know, all these things, right? Yet, that to me was not enough. And I think for many, like that in and of itself is not purpose. That in and of itself is not, there's not meaning necessarily or purpose behind that. Maybe there's some meaning, but not purpose, right? And so my question would be like, like you, you have this goal, you have this, this vision, this, this, you know, thing that you're creating of wanting to take the principles that you use to change your life in sales and selling, but the principles behind that and instill that into others so that they can go and change theirs. Now, I don't know what right. the specific goals are, but, but maybe it's a thousand people or 10,000 people or a million people, whatever it is that you want to go through and help, you know, you're going to hit it at some point, right? Someday you will, whether that's in a month or 10 years, right? Just like Russell with the million entrepreneurs or Tony Robbins or whatever. Right. Yeah. And so my question is, is like, okay, but then like, then what? Right. And, and what I mean by that is like, but what's the purpose of all of this, right? Why does this, because like you and I can assign value and purpose in business. And like, you know, we, our purpose in business is to make our clients life better and help them become cool. Yes. And make more money. And those are good things. We absolutely need those in business, but like man to man, person to person for a second in the grand scheme of life, right? It's like, what's the core purpose? What, what in your life, what brings purpose and meaning to what it is that you do to where let's say you died before you, you know, had that, what would make, make that you had a purpose driven life. Right. So like, where does that, like, I guess the best question would be is then what you hit this, then what, where does the purpose and meaning come from outside of that? Does that make sense? It does. Okay. Two answers. Answer number one, if you look at kind of levels of analysis of things or levels of consciousness, Seeking the purpose is still intellectualizing something. Like, okay. why do you need to extrapolate a mission statement? That's still intellectualizing something. A higher level of being is when you just know. 
You don't need to know why you know, how you know, where you know it from. You just know, you just feel. So that's the first bit is like, well, which level of analysis are we looking at it? Okay. The second thing is um, I, I heard this from Wayne Dyer in a really, really great audio book called It's Never Crowded on the Extra Mile. Now, Wayne Dyer was reciting it from someone else, so it's not his quote. And he was talking through the idea with someone about like, kind of like what you're saying, like, what's it all for? Like, well, what, what after that? And what after that? And what about at the end of your life? And he was talking through this idea about you come into life with nothing. You know, when you come into the world, you don't have anything, no skills, no intellect, no possessions, nothing. And when you leave life, you also have nothing. You don't take anything with you. I mean, we could get into the argument about, you know, heaven and, and whatever. But okay. principle wise, you come into the world with nothing and you leave the world with nothing. 100%. So what what then are you going to do with your life? And the answer is you have to give it away because you can't accumulate anything. You can't take anything with you. So during the time that you're on earth, if you if you think of it this way, you have to ask yourself, how can I give my life away? I'm not trying to accumulate anything. I'm not trying to have an end result or an end goal or a purpose on my you know, tombstone or whatever. It's I'm on the planet for X number of years. How can I give my life away? And then the next question is, well, how can I give it away at the highest level? For me, my knowing, not my intellectualizing, just something inside me knows the highest way that I can gift my life to the people of the world is to take the lessons that have served me so well to assimilate them and to put them out there into the world for people to pick them up if they so choose. And that's what I do. I take that through the vehicle of selling, but it's it's universal life lessons. You know, if you, I'm sure you've read it, but the, the book here, um, The Law of Success. Yeah. You know, well, if, you, if, if, if you read that one. One of my favorite books ever. Yeah, likewise. Napoleon Hill says that as he started meeting these people he just knew that he had to put these lessons out there into the world he just knew that that was what he was meant to do was to write this book it took him years and that was just what he was meant to be on the planet to do for that period of his life i just know that i have knowledge and awareness of certain principles and an ability to teach them and a vehicle to teach them into that benefits everybody it benefits the business owner it benefits the sales reps, it benefits the prospects, and it benefits me by being able to continue to perpetuate this knowledge. Everybody wins. Yeah. That's what I just know I'm meant to do. Okay. So help me understand this then. Because I have a couple of a couple follow-ups to that then. Is what happens if you don't do it? Don't do what? Don't don't train those lessons or don't do, you mean? do this thing that you just you you know that this is what you're meant to do, right? So like if if yep, you were to not do those things, would there be a consequence? Would it but yeah. be like what 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 does that look like if you chose not to do those things? Yeah. The the general level of abundance, the general level of happiness, the general level of consciousness of the world would be a little bit lower than it would be if I spend my life gifting these principles to the world. But like, okay, so you have this knowing, right? But if I were to try to apply that concept across the 
the world of like, most people don't have that knowing. Most people don't know what they've been called to do or, or, or have this knowing and this thing of like, this is my mission and my purpose or whatever, right? In fact, a lot of probably ultra successful people that make a lot of money on paper, right? Like they, they make money. They don't, they don't even know, might, might not know they're knowing, right? And then I would also mm -hmm. say, there's also people that do know that are, they know terrible things, AKA, like look at Hitler. Like Hitler felt like his, his knowing, like his purpose, what he knew to be right was to wipe Jews off the face of the earth, right? Mm -hmm. So like, how, how do you apply or how, how, how do you, I don't even know what the question is. Like, how does this, how does this universally applied? Like in your case, it seems like it works, but like, how do you determine if that knowing is good or bad, or if that really is the knowing or, or what about the person that doesn't know? Does that make sense? The, the concept you're delivering makes sense, but I'm not sure the question. I, I don't understand like, the question. I know, like you said that this is, for you, this is what you've been called to do and are doing it, right? Mm -hmm. But if I listen to you, if, you know, if I'm going to listen to a mentor, I'm accepting a lot of their worldviews, right? This is why I choose mentors very closely or very carefully, right? Why I listen to a Russell Brunson, pretty heavily versus a, a Grant Cardone, not so much, right? Or, you know, someone, you know, like that is because not only am I learning from them in the skill set, but their skill set is part of a larger worldview, a larger approach to the, to the world, right? And so, and you would agree with that, yes? Can I add something to that? That's, yeah. that's even more interesting and, and very relevant. Yeah. I met, I met someone that's a very high level sales trainer. I'm not going to name any names. Yeah. And I thought very lowly about who they were as a person, even though they were very successful in their career. Yeah. And the point is, I'm 100% in agreement with you. You have to choose a mentor that across the board, you feel like I would like to be this person. I would like to be more like this person. There's another meme, like a cultural meme that's like, hey, you should have a different mentor for different areas of your life. I don't buy into that because whoever your mentor is in different parts of life, you're going to absorb parts of their identity, parts of their character, parts of their mindset. And so I think you should look at your coaches or your mentors and think, do I actually want to be like them as a person? Right. And then 100%. because I want to be like them, I'm going to learn their skills. And I think part of my place within the sales training, sales team multiplying ecosystem is I think there's a lot of people out there that are very good at sales, but they're not very good at life. Yeah. And like, I actually wouldn't want to hang out with them. And usually my students, the testimonials, the results that they give back to me is you made me level up in my family life. You made me level up in my spirituality. You made me take my fitness more seriously. Yeah. You make me have honest conversations with the people that I wasn't actually saying the truth to. Yeah. That's the that's the feedback I get more than anything. Now, the side benefit, ironic to say, is they make more money for the business. They make of more course. commission yeah, yeah. and the business makes more revenue. But that's very rarely the feedback that they choose to give back to me. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. And, and so I think yeah. we're in, in very similar alignment there, right? I mean, like 
like you, like you said, you, you choose those mentors very carefully because you are going to become like them. And so yeah. my going back to the question of this, this idea of, of knowing and purpose and, you know, where I was going was, is I like to go and if I'm going to choose something or, or principle or purpose, you know, think about life, I like to go and play it out all the way to the extreme, right? Because I'm like, if I'm going to go down a path, I'm never going to hit the dead end, right? But I've got to understand the direction I'm going here, right? And so like for me, when you go, Josh, like what's your purpose and, and your mission? You know, because I like I've got business goals and I've got personal goals and I've got family goals and I've got all this, right? But like if you were to ask me the question of, okay, but like then what? Or like what's it all matter? Like, okay, Josh, you make a hundred million dollars and you have an incredible family and and you know, like your kids love you and your wife loves you and you you've done all these things, whatever, right? Then what? Like my answer would be, well, then I would just do whatever Christ asked me to do next because it's Christ asked me to do this. And my purpose is to serve Christ. That's where my purpose comes from. That's what the mean, that's, that's what gives this all meaning. Right. And so that's the, that's the difference though, Josh, is that the first part of your, your decision-making is based on extrapolating a goal to the end of your awareness. But then at the end of that, you make your decisions based on faith. No, no, I'm saying, but I started, I, I started here and I went, who does, who has Christ called me to be? And I became that person. And then I looked at the gifts and the talents and I, I set those goals with, in the intention of who, who does Christ call me to be now? That's why I shut down my company at the end of last year. Like literally, a, a, you know, we were doing a million dollars or a quarter million dollars a quarter, you know, and, and I shut it all down, right. To become the person and, and really go, because I make all my decisions and purpose through my relationship with Christ. Right. Because that's where I assess meaning and purpose in this life. Yeah. And so if you were to fast forward my life all the way out and I were to say, let's say I don't have a goal of $100 million. I do have a goal of, of, of having a great wife and uh, uh, you know my kids loving me and being the best father and all those things. But I'm like, even if you fast forward my life 40 years and I hit all those things, the next question is, is like, if I die along the way or if I get there, the same thing is like, did I make Christ known? Like, is, did I follow in that purpose? And so with this concept of, of knowing and, and you know, pu putting these principles out, I go, okay, well, does, does that mean that if you, if you help 10,000 people you know, know these principles and experience them in their life, does that make you better than if you only did 5,000, right? Or how do you determine that? And so when you get to this point of, you, well, I just know. And I'm well, okay, cool. Well, Hitler just knew. So does that mean he was right in what he's doing and you were both following the same path and he just knew and you just knew? Because that's clearly can't be right. Or like the person that doesn't just know, like what are they supposed to do with their life? And like my answer to all that would be like, well, you align everything with Christ. So my, my question is, is like, where do you assess or, and by the way, I'm coming at this from a very genuine, like I'm genuinely curious about this, right? I have mad, mad respect for you, right? I'm, but I'm trying to understand or not, but, and I'm trying to understand what kind of drives, like, how are you able to go and become this person and be the incredible person that you are? Where does that come from? Does that make sense? I think so. Tell, tell me if I'm on the right track. So like, you have some form of commune or communication with Christ. Yeah. And you receive some form of knowing response. This is what you should do. Whether we call it Christ, whether we call it God, whatever someone's religion is, and all respect to whatever someone chooses, okay. there is some form of knowingness when you ask for a response. My knowingness, just, just like yours is responded by Christ, my knowingness is when I commune with myself, like a crazy person, 
something tells me if I'm on track or if I'm not on track. Okay. And the thing that feels most on track for me is when I feel like, what am I most enthusiastic about? What am I most excited about? What is coming from a place of love, joy, abundance, happiness, not power, control, fear, or whatever? And the answer to me is always these principles are inside of me and I have a gift of being able to teach them. And I have the opportunities to teach them into teams, more people. That's just what I feel. I get a response back, which is both physiological and spiritual. Like I just feel yep. right. I feel peaceful. I feel uh, aligned when I ask the question, Hey, am I on track? Am I not on track? I, I get a response. Now, one other bit that gives a little bit of extra information. When I made the decision to get off the phones, it was made from that place of, well, I'm sharing these principles one-to-one -one with my prospect on the phone, but that's very slow. Like I'm only able to help one person at a time. How do I move into more scale? Yeah. And the bigger scale for me was, well, if I train the whole teams, I train the team and the, the team trains the prospects. Now I've got more scalability in passing on these principles and passing on these lessons. Okay. Sense? Yep. 100%. So correct me if I'm wrong on this. What you're like, if, if I, if you and I both make decisions from this place of knowing, let's say, right. And knowing comes from infinite intelligence, let's call it right. Absolutely. Where, where you're saying, or what I'm saying is, is I get my infinite intelligence from Christ right from Jesus in this thing. And you're saying, cool, Josh, that's great. That's where you get your infinite intelligence. What I'm saying is, or what you're saying is, is like, hey, I get it from internal me. And there's this internal connection of me to internal or infinite intelligence. Is that is that correct? 100%. Like okay. I, I would say I get my knowingness from infinite intelligence. If I may, you get your knowingness from infinite intelligence that you call the infinite intelligence of Christ. Got it. Okay. Okay. I would just call it a different name, but yes, 100%. Okay. Got you. And just for my own curiosity here, and we don't have to go down this rabbit hole too much. Do you believe that that infinite intelligence, like you, like that me getting it from Christ and you getting it from yours, you believe that that's the same infinite intelligence? 100% the same. Okay. Interesting. 100% the same. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Very interesting. Whether, 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 whether someone gets it from talking to themselves while sat upside down on a pebble, or if they get it by going to a physical church, or they get it by pointing to, you know, a, a direction of a, of a, a mosque. Yeah. At the end of the day, something is responding to you by a feeling and our feeling might come to us by words in our head. Like we hear someone, it might come as a apparition of like a physical image, a ghost or a, man in the sky with a giant beard, like something is guiding you. And and I absolutely believe that 100%. So, and I never did like three years ago, or no, four and a half years ago, I was like, absolutely no such thing. Absolutely no such thing. And through my journey through yeah. sales and my mentorship and the lessons that my mentor taught me, I realized that I was wrong. Like not only is it real and does it exist, it's the most real thing of anything that you should be learning is how to connect to some form of infinite intelligence that's going to guide you. Absolutely.
So we can take this conversation two ways. One, we can continue down that path because I think you and I have um, a lot of agreements in a lot of ways, but also there's some fundamental things where I'm like, I got questions because I, I got questions about things. I, I want to say I disagree, but I don't even know if I disagree. I just have questions on it. Or <laughs> we can kind of, and I'm, I will go down that rabbit hole and, and we can talk all day long about it. Or we can kind of steer the conversation back to a little bit more specifically on like what you're building inside of sales. Which, which direction do you want to go down? Let's just wrap it up at the end with what I'm building in sales, but let's go okay. the, the other direction. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So let, let's go down that, that route for a second. Okay. So, so let's call this infinite intelligence thing. This is my, the, now we're going to get into good stuff here. Okay. So let's, this infinite intelligence, this, whatever we call, I call it Christ, you call it infinite intelligence. People across the world, 7 billion people, and then, you know, billions of people throughout history, right? that are connected with this infinite intelligence that are connected with this, there's differences, right? There are fundamental differences with what these people receive and interpret. And without getting too much, you know, in the current political climate right now, but it's a perfect example, you look at the Israel-Gaza situation or Hamas situation, right? I mean, these are like two fundamentally competing ideologies, right? And so this concept of infinite intelligence, which I do believe that God is all powerful, all knowledgeable, he is all wisdom, right? So I, I don't have a problem with that per se. My question is, is though, what, how do you deal with the fact that different people who chase this idea of, let's call it infinite intelligence, come to two or multiple very different conclusions, oftentimes that are in direct opposition to one another? How do I wrestle with it? Or like, how do you, because like the way I would say this is I would go, well, no, there's, it's not infinite intelligence. It's Christ and there's Christ and he is all that is good. And then there is Satan or the devil or, you know, evil. And he represents all that is evil. And there is Christ and there is everything else. And these are two competing ideas. And I either choose Christ and I get my infinite intelligence from him. And he gives me clarity and certainty and all of that. Or I reject Christ and anything that is rejection of Christ is evil and evil is manipulative and chaos and 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 destructive, right? And so there's these ideas of it's not just an infinite knowing because I'm like Hitler had an infinite knowing, and he wanted to kill Jews, right? I go. But this how, how do we know that? Like, I mean, I mean, we we could hypothetically say that Hitler had a a ideological desire for power and control. And he felt like he knew the way to get that was by, you know, killing an entire population. Right. But, but but somewhere inside of him, Hitler felt like he was doing the right thing, right? Like Hitler didn't wake up and be like, I'm doing something evil right now. No, he felt like he was doing the right thing. That's what allowed him to have such power, right? Like Trump thinks he's doing the right thing. Gavin Newsom thinks he's doing the right thing, right? Like these people think they're doing what's right, right? So- my question is, is that if you, you but, subscribe, but, but to we have side, to add the bit on the end, think they're doing what's right for who or from what, from what place, you know, like Trump might be thinking that he's doing what's right for X population of the USA or just for make America great again or Trump, but we have to add or for Trump exactly yeah. or for himself and the Trump name, you have to add into the end of that sentence the relevant context you know like hitler felt like he knew what the right thing was for the aryan race well yeah but that's for the aryan race 
if Hitler knew what was right for the general population of the world, he may have made a completely different decision. But, but he had a certain... But I think he did, but like, when he thought about life and himself and this intelligence, you know, he communed with himself or with whatever it was or thing, he thought this was best for mankind because he thought he was going to wipe out the Jews and that was best because this was the superior race and that you should do this for the superior race. And so I guess the question is, I guess the real question would be this. If there is this infinite intelligence, how do you define morality? Like what is good and evil? Because it can't just be what you think, what you feel it is, right? Mm -hmm. So how would you define it? Or like, where does it come from? I should say. I don't know. I mean, I've I've thought about that question a lot. You know, what's good? What's evil? Well, it depends the context. You know, sometimes something bad now is good in the future, and sometimes something good now is bad in the future. And and this was kind of what what I was alluding to previously is like sometimes we we over intellectualize something that's distracting us from just doing in the present what we feel like is the right thing to do. Okay. Another thing, just just but, jumping okay. back to the Hitler thing quickly, like you're saying that I think you're saying that Hitler was communing. Well, how do we know that he was communing with God, not the devil? And the well, devil. Okay, was but that's my question. So tell him what to do. Okay, so you're you're your by admission of that you would then say that there's some other force besides this infinite intelligence is that correct yeah there's there's everything outside there's infinite intelligence and there's everything that's not infinite intelligence which could be politics it could be ego it could be the devil okay. it could be whatever yeah, expand you want on to call that. it yeah. yeah no expand on that well well i think infinite intelligence is is everything when you're tapped into something but you know, it's like the old saying of like, well, if a tree falls and no one hears it, did did it make a noise? It's like, well, if you're not tapped into infinite intelligence, does that just mean you're neutral? I don't think so. I think no. if you're neutral, something else is going to grab a hold of you. Right. There's no such probably thing not going to be right. something good. Yeah, it's probably going to be something negative. <laughs> probably. Okay. Which, is, which is why, like, if you're not doing the right habits... Does that just mean you sit and don't do anything good or do nothing bad? No. Right. If you're not doing the right habits, you typically grab a bag of chips and start consuming terrible things. Right. Right. It's right. It's yin and yang. There's opposite, but there's no neutral. You're either progressing or not progressing. Right. There's no like just maintaining. So Correct. if if infinite, what I'm hearing you say then is generally speaking, and feel free to correct or, or refine this is. It, this infinite intelligence, right, represents all that is good. And then the opposite of infinite intelligence, let's call this ego and chaos, right, represents sure. yeah. Yeah. all that is bad and evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. you can choose to tune into one of these two ideologies. Is, is that, Would that be correct? You can choose, but as i teach in the sales training like there's certain prerequisites before you're even going to be able to tune into it okay you know like you you can't tune into infinite intelligence if your body is poisoned poisoned with right negative but con conceptually though i'm either getting my information and knowledge from this 
whether it's intentional or not. I agree with you in the actual act, but just like base level broad, it's either I'm making decisions from and getting information from a place of infinite intelligence or from a place of infinite ego and chaos, right? Correct, correct. Because there's no neutral, right? Correct, yes. So then from an application standpoint, you're correct. You can't poison yourself and you've got to do all of those things, right? So assuming that's the case, that would be represent representative of a good versus evil and an, an infinite intelligence, uh, two forces that are conflicting. Yes? Mm -hmm. Okay. Which, by the way, in remove names for a second, I believe in as well, right? Like, I believe there's a good and I believe there is an evil and I believe that they're constantly at, at war, right? So when you say, I think, you know, when you're like, I think we believe the same thing and, you know, you label it Christ, I label it infinite intelligence. Awesome. Mm -hmm. My question then would be, why... Why do you not believe that it is, I want to say Christ, but even a, a figure at all? Like, why do you believe that it is just infinite intelligence and not some external being? Why couldn't there be a physical God and a physical Satan? Maybe not physical is the right word, but an actual embodied thing rather than just two presence or forces. Yeah, because that's a good question. Christ can only be Christ. Infinite intelligence could be anything personified as infinite intelligence. So if we draw it all the way back to first principle, you know, like if I said to you, without personifying it with a name or a physical image, what is Christ? You would probably start giving me like laws, principles, commandments, like just general things which would be the same as how i would describe infinite intelligence so you know there's, there's this thing in sales which is chunking up and chunking down you know if we chunk up what is christ or what is allah or what is you know the buddha if we chunk it up to a principle my view is the highest principle is something that has no name no physical body no personification it's it's a it's an energy. It's a it's a vibration. It's a frequency. Does that make sense? And I would call that God. Okay. Well, if you want to call it God, then call it God. It's like, you know, I'm sat in front of a desk. If if I didn't call it a table, it still physically exists, regardless whether I label it or not. But it but God is God, God the Father, right? In the in the Christianity, there's the Trinity, right? God the Father is. Right. In, in in the Old Testament, when Moses is confronted with the burning bush, he says, who are you? And it replies, I am. I am the I am. Right. I just yeah. am. Right. That's I am that I am. Yeah. Right. I, I am. No, he just said, I am the I am. Right. Like, I just am. Right. Like, I, he, I am everything. I am. I am God. Right. He doesn't have a name. He is God, the father. Right. But then in order to for God to to have a relationship with us and to show how much he loves us and cares because that's a morally good thing and, and and he decides morals like love and connection and and this then there's Jesus which is God God the son right and then he has a name he is Yahweh and king of kings and and he has he has control and he has reign over all of this and he's the one that came down we have a personal relationship because you can't have a personal relationship with God you can have a personal relationship with Jesus right that's who Jesus is and so when I look at good and evil, I go, no, 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 there absolutely is a name for all that is good, right? And it is God. And because Jesus is fully God, but he's also God in 
name format in human format, right? Like he is a representation of all that is good. And so to me, there is definite, it's not just a matter of, oh, infinite intelligence. And, and, you know, there's this knowing of what we tap into and what's communicated to us. It's like, no, no, there is a guy that controls all of that. There is a guy that is all powerful, controls all intelligence and all knowledge and everything that is he controls and he is it. And that is Jesus. And we have a personal relationship with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, does that, does that like conceptually, does that make sense? Yeah. Have you ever heard the story about the African tribe that can't see the color green because they don't have a name for the color green? Mm -mm. So it's like that. It's like, if you show them a piece of paper with the color green, they can't see it because they don't have a name for it. So they just don't see it. Doesn't mean that we can't see the color green. And so it's like, the whole thing about God is like, well, if, if, if you want, as you said, have a relationship or feel it, see it, whatever, to some extent, you have to put a name on it so that you can see that. But it, it doesn't mean that if it didn't have a name and like you call God, God, someone else calls God, Allah. If we say God in Spanish, it's Deus, like who says what the but what but the forget about the specific is. name for a second though the the reality is though is is that if if there is an infinite intelligence and let's pretend Jesus's name is Tim or what Tweepy who cares right like whatever it does the name is regardless for a second yeah fact of the matter is is that that entity that being is intelligent and it is personal and it is real. And even though the tribe might not be able to see the color green, that doesn't mean it isn't real. It's very much there. And so mm -hmm. my question is, is like, regardless of what you call that person, because, because like, forget religion for a second, who knows which religion is right? I mean, I believe in Christ, right? But like, if you had a problem with religion, why is it that you have subscribed? And this is genuinely curious. Why have you subscribed to and believe in the concept that infinite intelligence is just infinite intelligence and that there is not a divine entity being that that has a name that that exists tell me if i'm answering the question right but like yeah sometimes if i'm talking about spirit infinite intelligence sometimes i'll say god because to me the the label that I use is semantic in comparison to what I'm meaning behind it. Like sometimes I'll say, you know, God told me to do this, but do I subscribe that it, that that's the only name or that that's even the right name? No, because I don't feel like I have the arrogance to say, this is what X scripture said that it should be called. Let's just, uh, uh, you know, abominate every other version of scripture I don't I don't subscribe to that. I just I right. just think so long as the the behavior that different people are living up to for whatever they subscribe to the name as, so long as we have alignment on that, I don't even really entertain the necessity to to focus on what I or you or we or whoever calls it. Okay. So do you believe this is so fascinating? So fascinating. So do you believe then that you are an entity that while in still in tune and communing with, you are a separate entity from it? 
that, in this, that's a deep, that, yeah, in that's this a deep world, one, so. in this, in this world or in this lifetime. Okay. Well, like what I do subscribe to, and I think this answers the question is I think I am God, but mm. not, I am not, not, I am God as in like, no, I, the arrogant, no, I get what you're saying. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think I am God. I think you are God. I think yeah. everything is God. That's what I subscribe to now. I could call it, I am infinite intelligence. You're infinite intelligence. I don't particularly care no, I, about the No, I the understand. Label, but, but the way yeah. that I like to think about it is like, for example, you know, like an octopus, right? It's like, imagine an octopus with, you know, the one central thing. And it's like, are the tentacles of the octopus part of it? Yes, 100%, right? It's like, it fills it, right? And so it's like, if you had 7 billion tentacles or whatever, it's like, there's one main thing and it sees all, but you as the one tentacle could only see, but you are it and I get it, right? I understand that concept. So if that's the case, and I'm going to bring this back to then, oh, this is going to be good. Okay. So if that's the case, then how are you capable? Like if you are God, right? In, in the context that you're saying, then how are you capable then of doing evil? Why do you do bad things? Why do you subscribe to and, and do things that would not be in alignment with the perfection of in, infinite intelligence? Because man is capable I, I of doing I, I got it. evil things. Yeah. Well, the well the the logical answer that I do subscribe to is, well, how would you know what's good if you weren't able to see, experience, be, do bad things? And this is like if my interpretation of the story is that in order for God to know itself, it had to separate itself into multiple things so that it can actually see itself because, you know, like you can't see yourself. You, you'd have to separate yourself in order to look back at yourself and be like, oh, that's me. And so my, my version of the story is that, you know, we, we all became things so that we could refind ourselves that God is within us. The kingdom of heaven is within us. But we wouldn't even be able to see that it's within us if we hadn't separated ourselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So then do you believe, do you believe that um like you say, you're God, I'm God. Do you believe that all people on earth are God in this sense? Yes, I believe everybody is of God. Okay. However, okay. I do believe that some people have been consumed by whatever we call it not neutrality but negativity and right. therefore they're not walking in the way of god if that makes sense yep 100 okay so if that then be the case then when people die is there an afterlife do you believe or do you believe we're dead no i don't believe we're dead yeah okay there's some afterlife right <laughs> so then does your does your do your actions and beliefs and how you choose to operate on this world determine where you go or no? If you mean determine where you go as in like, if you've been a bad person, you're going to be smited by the mighty smiter. No, I don't believe that because that in itself would be against the principle of the all forgiving God. Like, I don't know. Well, God again, isn't all forgiving. No, he's just, he's forgiving, but he's not all forgiving. He's just, he's all just. But anyway, continue. Well, so I, I would, I'm not a, you know, I don't yep. read the Bible. So you'll yep. quote me a yep. hundred yep. times over on the Bible. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. I was of the interpretation that even if you do the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst things, 
if you truly repent, you can be forgiven. Absolutely. If okay, you so repent, gonna... you will be forgiven. So God will forgive everyone, but he is not all forgiving because he's not going to forgive everyone because not everyone's going to repent. Got it? Okay. Because yeah, like, there's a large I, yeah. per percentage of the population that wants nothing to do with God, actively you know, mocks him and would, would never ask for forgiveness. And he's not going to forgive them if he, they don't ask for forgiveness. It's a free gift. You can ask and you are absolutely forgiven. Grace covers it all. But if you're a terrible person and never ask for forgiveness, you're not, you're not going to get forgiveness, right? Okay, let me explain it a different way then. So my view is that uh -huh. let's say you were a bad person uh -huh. and you were reincarnated having been a bad person. My view is that the door to God, to heaven, to the kingdom within will always be open at any time in your reincarnation or reincarnations should you choose that you want to go that direction. So am I of the interpretation that, hey, Josh, you've been a bad person. You're going to live in hell and rot in hell for the rest of your incarnations. No, I don't believe that. Got it. If you choose that you don't want to walk a different way, then yeah, you'll just stay where you are because that's that's the law of momentum. Like, you know, if, if no force is acting on something, it will just keep going in the same direction. But if you decide, hey, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go a different direction that then you will always be welcomed in to a better life. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So if you then yeah. choose God and you accept God or whatever that looks like, you, you, you are good, let's say, right? Whatever that means, right? Then that's eternity with God. And if you are bad and you reject it, it's not that you don't go to God. It's, or it's not that you're banned to hell. It's just that you're not to God. And you'll keep, repeat the process until you are good and then you go be with God. If you choose to, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or, or you're just constantly being re reincarnated in you know, as a little worm or something. I got like, it. Well, yep. This sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's super fascinating. So then, so then someone who is, I'm just going to use Hitler because it's an easy example. And let's assume that Hitler on his deathbed did not, you know, repent and forgive and decided, you know, oh, you know, let's assume he died and he was like, I did everything right. Yeah. And he decided that he did all these terrible, horrible things. He dies and gets reincarnated in some form of afterlife or another, right? And it's not, he's damned to hell. He's just at the low end of the totem pole of restarting life, essentially. Yes. Maybe he got reincarnated as Joe Biden. Yeah. Like, uh, well, I, I, I joke, but my point is <laughs> if someone, if someone yeah. was doing bad things and they got reincarnated, uh -huh. I'm not saying that they're going to be the bottom of the evolution pole. What I was saying is that they will continue to do bad things or okay. what you and I could agree or disagree are bad things. So then this is my final question before I bring it back to the, the where, where I wanted to go with this. Okay. So then would that infer that there is no punishment then for evil? I think, and again, we could argue the semantics of whether we call it God, but I think the inherent punishment of not walking with God is not walking with God. Like my right. life is so much better because I now operate from a place of believing in some form of higher guidance, higher something's looking out for me. Something's trying to help me out. Like the world is happening for me, not to me. Yep. And if I imagine to my life four, four and a half years ago before that, 
I was way unhappier. I was way more detestful of life. Like I was OCD, I was, you know, perfectionist. I was like, well, you know, I'm skeptical. I'm a, you know, a, a cynic. I, I just think that the punishment is life could be so much better. And but but you but don't I mean, like, yo, know what you the don't people know. that are that they're they're beating people and raping people and murdering people and doing horrible, horrible things to other human beings, not just in my own life, like these people doing you know terrible things to other people, like literally horrible crimes against humanity type of things, right? Like there's no punishment for that. It's just, well, you restart again and you're gonna suffer because that's not what God would do. Like you're gonna hate your life for it. Okay, cool. But what about all the people that they're just just messing up? I I understand your frustration to it. And and yes, like we feel like, well, let's, you know, sling them up and throw rocks at them or whatever. But it's like, I still feel that whether right or wrong, whether good people do good things or bad people do bad things, people are always going to have free will. And maybe yeah. we agree to disagree on this, but no, I no, no, do absolutely. Absolutely. That, my, my one, my one thing would, I would say, and I'll just end on this is, is that as you continue to go through this, because I'm sure we'll have follow-up conversations in the future, this will not be the end, right? Is really thinking about factoring in the fact that if there's an infinite intelligence and there's yin and yang, that means there's also this really bad stuff over here. And that, that, that bad, that evil, that ego is not, it's not just bad, it, it's also intelligent, right? And it is, it, like, I believe that evil is very intelligent, that, that the devil, that, you know, Satan is a roaring lion that wants to, he's actively coordinatingly, intelligently trying to destroy your life and bring you down with him. And that there is absolute punishment. And I believe that God is, there is good and there is evil. And that I don't believe that good like that God being an all loving God, that doesn't mean that God isn't going to punish because God is a just God. And that's what you do when you love someone. Right. But that's neither here nor there. Think about it as we, as you go through life and we will have to follow up. I've got lots to think about with what Love you it. said, because there's some very good stuff. So bringing this all the way back though, to say, actually, let me give you a chance. Do you have any other like final thoughts on that before I bring it back to sales? Cause I do have, no, I, I'm think, gonna tie I, back. Th I think, I think we, I think we agree that there's a lot to think about on both sides. And that's when you've had a great conversation. Oh, for sure. And fascinating. Okay. So you take this and let's wrap it back to sales. And one of the things that I, I respect about you tremendously. And I, and I, I think that um, some of the most powerful and aligned and fulfilled people do this. I know I try to do this as well Is I try to build a business and this is the golden mic method. This is, you know, what I do with the podcast is I try to build a business uh, and a skill set that is in alignment with with who I am and the the message and ideas and beliefs that I want to instill into the world, right? And clearly, that's what you're building and doing with sales and you know the, the sales training and and what you're doing with sales teams and things of that nature. So, paint me a vision of the the future now where you have this belief about you know knowing and being in alignment and and th these principles that you believe can make your life better and you're using sales as the mechanism or the vehicle to go and teach that and bring that to the world right because you need a vehicle to to teach anything right what's your vision uh with that is it a hey i'm going to build the biggest sales company or you know i'm going to be a sales primary focused company with with you know, wrapped in these principles or is it a principle versus thing here with sales? 
is this a huge company? Is it just you and a few team members? What is, you know, what is the long-term vision of what you're doing and instilling and building in this world look like? Yeah. So I think the first part of, you know, why sales is the vehicle for me is that prior to making any significant money, I was of the mindset, you know, like most people are, money's not the meaning of life and, you know, money doesn't mean anything and blah, blah, blah. You get to the other side of that and you're like, holy shit, like money is really important. Like I couldn't have been as spiritually aligned as I am or as conscious of my health or actually having any form of positive impact in the world if I was broke. And so the first bit is to try and give as many people as I feel I can, which is tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that are ready, the opportunity to financially break free from not being able to do higher consciousness things, find God, focus on their health, whatever, because money is the limiting factor. Now, do I think everybody should start a high ticket offer or be a business owner or be an entrepreneur? No, but I am fortunate that I'm either going to work with the business owner and the entrepreneur on the offers, or I'm going to work with the sales team that then sell a vehicle to an individual in civilization to break free at whatever level they're at. And most of the offers that I work with, there's some form of make money, biz op, make more money offer. So they always allow someone to rise up financially. Yeah. And I think the financial breaking free is always the first bit in, you know, if I, I don't think you can really do much if you're struggling to pay your bills or unable to go and do the masterminds, the courses, the networking that you want to do. I think you need to be at a point where you have that runway first. And so for me, it's like, well, in my own little way, if I can help as many business owners scale their sales teams and their high ticket offers and services to the level that it it's destined to be, the most people that I'm able to impact will be financially capable yeah. to then follow their intuition, follow their knowingness, follow their direction from God in order to go wherever they're next meant to go. So yeah. I, I view myself as just the foundational step for most people to, to break free from the the financial matrix. That's awesome. Yeah, and basically representing the the energy. But I, 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 it's interesting. I, I view when you study money, I think money is energy, right? Um, so, it's it's very obvious, right? And then when you look at you know countries around the world, it's like, oh, they have lots of oil or they have lots of this. It's like, what does the U.S. have? We have the U.S. dollar. We can print energy, yeah. right? We can yeah. pretty yeah. fantastic, right? So when you look at that and you go, okay, money is energy then the, your ability to make money and your ability to you know channel that is your ability to create energy right and your ability yeah. to channel energy and and the type of energy right there's good money bad money there's there, there's energies right so if you can create this system right where you're creating a system that allows others to step into positive weight that we're creating good energy um and duplicating that out so that's super cool um dude thank you so much for coming on honor, um and talking for an hour and 50 minutes almost two hours uh, before we talk, hop off, I could talk more. So, oh, dude, we could I'm rock, sure we could rock and roll forever. Um, but <laughs> I want for those people that are, you know, that they they run a sales team and they're like, oh, I'm I'm very curious about this now. I want to, you know, where can I find out more about Josh? Um, where can people go to to learn more about you, to connect with you, to continue the conversation with you? Yeah, if people want to find out more specifically, you know, what I could do for them and for their offer, lionsclosing.com. So L Y O N S closing C L uh, C L 
osing.com or my Instagram, which is joshlyons.sales on Instagram. They're the, the two best places to find me. So Amazing. And guys, we will link that down below in the description, both on video and on audio. So uh, go I'll feel free to connect with him there. Uh, Josh, thank you for coming on. A couple rapid fire questions uh, before pleasure. we wrap up. We get you ready to roll? Yeah, let's go. All right. Uh, first rapid fire question. What is the most amount of money you have ever made in a single day, either for yourself or for a client? Ooh, for a client. Uh, or if you don't know day, it could be week or month, like in, in a given metric. Yeah. Uh, 750,000 in a month for a client. Nice. Yeah, maybe maybe a little bit more than that. Yeah, seven fifty in a month for a client. Nice, nice. Oh, you, yeah. not not you training their sales team, but you personally, right? Me personally, most well, amount well, of money I've made it because Sorry, like you, because you you train sales teams to go beyond a million a month, right? Yeah, got it. Okay, yeah, cool. All right, next rapid fire question is uh, sports. Do you follow any sports? And if so, what's the best one? Nope, zero sports. I go to the gym. I like staying fit and healthy, but no sports. Don't play, don't watch. Not, not All right, so what's your version prefer of sports to, prefer in your to life? read my reading. 100%. Reading, okay, cool. Reading, yeah, favorite, just always Favorite reading. category or genre of book? Spirituality in the self-development bracket. So where, where you have people like Neville Goddard that's blended spirituality with like actual tangible success. Nice. Uh, top three books everybody should read. Uh, can I do an audio book? Sure. So it's Never Crowded Along the Extra Mile by Wayne Dyer, but you can only get that as an audio book. Okay. Um, second one would be The Complete Reader by Neville Goddard. So all of Neville Goddard's stuff. And then third one, let's go with The Holographic Universe by Michael Talbot. So mm. those three all right yeah. all right good stuff all uh what's one bucket ones, yeah. list what's one bucket list item that you have not yet checked off uh i'm gonna buy myself an old world war ii fighter plane Ooh, all right all right last question yeah. for you you're at the end of your life and everyone that you've been called to serve not the whole world but everyone that you've been called to serve you get to leave them with one final message they will forget everything else that you've ever taught them or said um but the one caveat is whatever you tell them whatever this message is they will believe 100% true and act accordingly. You don't need justification. You don't need to teach them about it. Like just face value as fact, this is the message and they will act accordingly. What is that message? The answer is always within. Answer is always with how fitting, how fitting. Perfect. Josh, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure, brother. Absolute pleasure. All right, guys, that's all for today. We will see you next time. Peace.